Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let's pray together. Father, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We, we cry out to you, Lord, to hear our prayers, Father, to open our hearts and our eyes to the truth of your word. Father, thank you for just an incredible time of worship as we just praise your name, Father, sing praises to you. Allow us to continue now that spirit of worship, Lord, as we open up the truth of your word. Speak clearly to us. Help us to hear and understand your word, Father. I pray you would just use us in very powerful ways, Lord. I pray that as we study together, Lord, that you'd be honored and glorified. And I pray, Father, as we do every Sunday, that through the power of the Spirit, we'd be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Acts chapter 15 this morning. Acts chapter 15. We are continuing our study through the book of Acts. The series we've entitled From Ordinary to Extraordinary. We've seen the Lord do such incredible things already to this point. We're just halfway through with the apostles and with Paul and with Peter and the early church. And I want to give you just a real quick background and reminder of kind of where we've been and then look ahead to where we're going to go then jump right into Acts chapter 15 this morning. This is important for our study this morning to remember that when Acts started and the Lord called the apostles to go and to preach and to make a difference through the power of the Spirit, they originally went to the Jewish people. Now we talked about the vision that Peter had a few chapters ago. The Lord basically said, listen, you've reached out to the Gentiles. You've shared the, go- the, the Jews. You've shared the gospel with the Jews. It's time there to, sh- to share the gospel with the Gentiles. And so Paul goes out on his first missionary journey. Antioch, the church in Antioch, is formed. And as Paul preaches and teaches, we saw this very interesting dynamic as we'd seen in the early part of the book. Persecution arises. Problems come. And in this particular context, in Acts chapter 15, we're going to see kind of a serious theological issue. There's going to be a debate and dissension and argument. It's going to lead us to kind of think through some interesting things related, obviously, to the first century church, but also still related to us today. So let's just jump right in this morning to Acts chapter 15. We're going to read through several verses, then we'll come back and begin to apply some of this to our lives. Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. But some men came down from Judea, And we're teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go down to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, 
They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. Verse 5. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Now verse 7. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are, we, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples, that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Now let's stop there. There's a lot in those first few verses, but here's something I want you to understand before I begin to explain it, kind of walk through it together. The Jewish people in this context of the first century had a lot of rules and regulations. If you were to go back and read through the Old Testament, you would understand there were a lot of do's and don'ts for the Jewish people. Certain things they could do, certain things they could not do, certain ways they cleansed themselves, certain sacrifices they made, certain rituals they had to go through. So for the Jewish person, this was more than just a religion. It was a way of life, and to use modern terms, it was kind of a culture. They had a very specific culture that they lived in, a very specific way they lived. Within that culture, there were certain do's and there were certain don'ts. And so within this culture, within their kind of belief system, they had a certain way of doing things. Now it's interesting because there's this question that's going to arise about salvation. We're going to get into it here in just a second. But here's kind of the important truth I want you to get. This is kind of foundational to what's going on. Then we're going to jump into these verses. Within this context, the Jewish people were allowing the culture to influence their understanding of salvation in Christ. They were allowing their culture to influence and to confuse, really in this context, their understanding of salvation. So I want to give you a truth, kind of a main truth, that we need to apply to our lives. And I want to work back through these verses together. We have it on the screen. Here's the first truth that I want you to get this morning. Number one, culture must never influence our understanding of salvation or of Christ. Culture should never influence our understanding of salvation or of Christ. Let me, let me say it a different way. We should never allow something in the culture to move us away from the truth of salvation or the truth of Christ. And the culture is a big deal. I'm going to talk a lot about culture this morning. We're going to kind of think through that together. But nothing about culture should change the way you view this. Now, we, we live in a world where that's very, very difficult to do. Now, in this context, the question was about circumcision. Is it necessary for salvation? I want you to notice, look at verse 2 again, if you would, please. This wasn't just a small little issue for them. This didn't just come up in passing. This was such a big deal. The Bible says that after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, they eventually are going to go to Jerusalem and discuss it with the elders. Right, so this is a big deal. There's a lot of discussion. There's a lot of debate. It's such a big deal that they kind of decide they need to go talk to some other people. So they go to Jerusalem. They meet with the elders. They meet with the apostles. And look at verse 6. Pull 6 up if you would for me, please. After they get to 
Jerusalem, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So this is a pretty significant issue. Now, we, we take some things for granted. We take kind of the history of Christianity, and if you're ever interested, there are great books that kind of chronicle the history of Christianity and viewpoints and doctrine especially. But just imagine for fun, just for a second, if the apostles had gotten this wrong. Like we take for granted salvation, and we understand it as very clear scripturally, but they didn't have the Bible back then, remember? Like when, when Paul shows up at Jerusalem, Peter doesn't pull his New Testament out of his back pocket and go, well, let's go to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, or let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, or let's go to John three sixteen. Those verses didn't exist in that time period. That's interesting. And so they had to rely on the teachings of Christ. They had to rely on what Jesus taught. That's why it's so important for them to get the apostles together. Why? Because the apostles had lived with Jesus. The apostles had heard the teachings of Jesus. The apostles understood the truth of salvation. They understood the truth of the gospel. And so as we're, we're kind of understanding in, in chapter 15 what's going on, the Jewish people had kind of taken this culture of what they believed and it was influencing the truth of what Christ had actually said. Uh, they were allowing the culture, their cultural views, to influence the truth of Christ. Now here's what I want to do. It's easy for us a lot of times to look, and I say this all the time, it's easy for us to look at history and say that was interesting for them, that was 2,000 years ago. What does some Jewish discussion about salvation in the first century have to do with me? Well, here's how it affects us today. We think about culture then, we think about how it affected them. Here's the question we ought to be asking ourselves this morning. Currently, how does culture affect Christianity in our lives right now? Because it absolutely affected the first century church. It absolutely affected their views and their thoughts. It led them to this great debate and discussion. Praise God they got it right based on the teachings of Christ. But the question we ought to be asking ourselves on a pretty regular basis is how much is culture affecting my Christianity today? There's a funny old saying, I heard it years ago, and some of you have probably heard it, but it's, it's very uh, kind of insightful to help us understand this idea. The, the statement is this, or it's really a question. Does a fish know he's wet? You ever heard that? It's a funny question. Right? Well, of course a fish is wet, he's swimming around in water, but does he know he's wet? No, because he's always lived in water. He doesn't really know the difference. Does culture change the way we view Christianity? Probably so. But we probably don't know it because it's kind of always been where we've lived. It's always been around us. Now, culture's a, a, a big part of the things that we do. Our, our language, our food, and you guys know this, and, and some of you have traveled, and if not, you understand how it works, right? The language and the culture and the food and the way we do things are different here than in other parts of the world. And there's a lot of different cultures out there. A lot of them strange to us, but very normal to those people. You know, you go overseas and the food is very different. The language is very different. The personal space is very different. But we have, in, in America, we kind of have this, you know, we like a little bit of space when we're talking. That doesn't exist over there. You go to Africa, men, you'll appreciate this. You go to Africa and you have a really good friend who's another man in Africa. You know what you do, men? You hold their hand as you walk down the street. The first time it happened to me, I was riding in a van with a guy. It was with Maxwell. Some of you guys know Maxwell. We're riding in the van, and Maxwell reaches over and he grabs my hand. He was sitting on my lap. I'm like, what is Maxwell doing in this van in Africa? It scared me, right? And I had to ask the missionary about that. It's not a big deal. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. 
Don't grab my hand, by the way, this morning if you want to. <laughs> men. We can do it in love, I guess. It's cultural. Right? We, we have cultural things that we do. We went to Guatemala last year and we were at the hotel uh, about to do some tra- actually done some training. We were about to go to the hotel that night with Joe and Megan. And next to our hotel was a big circus tent. And I loved the circus. And there were lights and sounds. And I said, Joe, listen, when we're done tonight with all of our training, can we go to the circus? And Joe and Megan said, mm, we can't go to the circus. Like, really? Why? But the people of the church knew that we were going to the circus. They would think we were not very good believers. Why? Well, because they have beer at the circus. And if you walk into a room where they're serving alcohol, then you're not a good Christian, right? So they set up all these rules, these cultural rules. We would call them probably legalism. But what we understand when we kind of take a step back is that there are cultural things that affect us. Here's the problem with culture. It's back to the fish analogy. The problem with culture is that oftentimes it affects us in ways that we don't even necessarily recognize or understand. Like I would say to you, every one of us, all of us, myself included, are affected by culture in ways that we don't fully understand. And so is it possible that the culture is affecting church and our walk with Christ that we don't even fully understand? Absolutely it is. And so I want to give you some ways. I've just kind of thought through this and studied through this a little bit. I want to give you several areas. This is not exhaustive. There are certainly other things that we could talk about. But these are some kind of major areas that I think the culture has affected church and Christianity, maybe in ways we don't even fully understand. I've got them on the screen. I want to just kind of think through them together this morning. Here's the first, first one. We now have this consumer approach to church. It's kind of a me-centered idea of what church ought to be. That's cultural. You understand that, right? right here's the example. Uh, you need something from the store, so you go to Walmart, right? If Walmart doesn't have it, you go to the mall. If the mall doesn't have it, you go to Noonan, right? And you're looking for something very specific that you want. If you can't find it in one store, you go to another store. Right? That's a consumer model. That's a capitalistic model. It works in, in economies, and we get it. We know. But that same mindset now has kind of found its place in the church. So we now... Look at churches like this. Listen, if this church doesn't give me exactly what I want, if I can't find exactly what I want in this church, I'm going to go find it somewhere else. And if that one doesn't offer it, I'm going to get it somewhere else. And if that one does not... Now listen, I would say to you, if you're in a church that's not teaching the truth of God's Word, not grounded in Scripture, you should leave that church. But far too many people make decisions about church and their faith based on preference, not on truth. Well, I don't like that church. They don't, they don't have a very good uh, Sunday school program. Well, maybe go start a good Sunday school program in your church then. I don't like that church because they don't, they don't ever go out and reach out to the community. Well, then go out and begin to reach out to the community yourself. We, we are called to be the body of Christ. We are called to serve and to go and to do. And when we find ourselves kind of in this consumer approach, me-centered, this is what I want kind of an idea, that's cultural. Because here's the truth we need to understand. I hope I don't hurt anybody's feelings, but I want you to hear this loud and clear from the pulpit. Church is not about what you want. Some of you are like, (gasps) Church is about honoring Christ, glorifying the Lord, serving Him and others. That's what church is. It's a gathered body of believers willing to sacrifice our very lives if necessary for the gospel. When you, when you live like that, it takes on a completely different meaning for church, doesn't it? 
Your priorities and the things that are important to you kind of change when you begin to understand the calling of the Lord in the church. That's, that's one of the ways culture has affected us. Here's another one. We kind of had this bomb shelter approach in our church. We hide out in the church. We shrink back from society. Right? So there's a lot of bad things in culture. We get it. We could talk about those all day long. There's a lot of things we don't like, that we're frustrated with, we don't want to be a part of. I get that. I understand it. But the calling is not to shrink back into a bomb shelter where nothing about the world or the community can penetrate where we are. That's not our calling. Our calling instead is to recognize the struggles of society, walk into society with love and grace and peace and hope, and make a difference out in the culture, not coming back inside the walls, building the bomb shelter, putting the, the, the society and the bad culture at bay and never thinking about it again. Christ didn't hide in the upper room. His disciples tried to until he gave them the Holy Spirit. And what did the Holy Spirit do? It got them right out of the upper room where they were in hiding, sent them out into the world to begin to make a difference. I think culturally, though, we found ourselves in this place that things are so bad that we say, you know what, just, just forget about that. I'm going to shrink back into the walls of the church, not really think about or worry about the things of culture. One writer said it like this. We've come to think of spiritual purity in terms of physical separation so we avoid many of the places where the unsaved may be. We've become so preoccupied with church activities that we have no time and no interest in those things which are of interest to our neighbors like the PTA, the city council, Boy Scouts, so on. We've become so alienated from the world in which we live we can hardly relate to the loss in a way which provides an occasion to share our faith. Now, I'm not, I don't want to scare anybody, but if I stood up here next week and said, you know, I'm going to start a Bible study in a bar next week. I'm going to be in a bar every Friday night hanging out with those people. Some of y'all will be like, yeah, I don't know, is that really a good idea? I read a thing years ago, and you, know, you, 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 you kind of have to be careful when you think about what somebody's thinking and motives. But I read a story several years ago about men who started a Bible study in Hooters. I'm not kidding, it was true. And I thought, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I'm kind of weighing that. I mean, but if, if you're honest, now if, now, if there was a lot of accountability and you were careful there, now we want to go to places where believers... Uh, where unbelievers are living, right? We want to go in those worlds. That's what Christ did. I mean, he, he would have gone to the bad places, the places we consider the wrong things to do, whatever that might be on your list. Right? But we kind of fallen into this mentality of bomb shelter. Let's just get away. Let's distance ourselves completely from the world, build this bomb shelter so we never have to go into society. That's not our calling in Scripture. Here's the third way society has influenced us. We allow ungodly, and you can kind of substitute any media here, TV, movies, books, etc., to influence our thinking and sometimes our actions. Now, I'm not preaching against movies or books or TV. Those things are fine. There's nothing wrong with those things by themselves. But the things we allow in our minds sometimes can be bad, and oftentimes those are the forms of media we use to see the things of the world. I read an interesting article several years ago and it was talking about the things that we watch on TV and the way people act specifically and the things they said. And it just made this... The guy in the article made a comment I've never forgotten. He said, listen, if the people on the TV screen walked into your living room in front of your family live like a real person standing there and said and did the things you watched them do on TV, you'd ask them to leave. You would never let them say those words in front of your family live. You would never let them do those things live. 
But for whatever reason, we've kind of fallen into this place where it's okay to watch and to think. We, we just, again, I'm not preaching against TV or books. I don't want you to think that. But we've got to be aware of what we're allowing to influence our lives. And culture will influence us greatly in that way. If we're not very careful, if we don't have our guards up, if we're not aware of what's going on, culture, culture will influence us. And then, and then the fourth, we kind of fall in because of culture into this works-based salvation idea. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. This is very prevalent in the South. In the South, you start talking to somebody about salvation and they say something like this. Well, I don't smoke. Or, they don't say these words, but here's basically what they say. I don't smoke or drink or curse. I'm good, man. I'm a Christian. They say that. I've kind of lived a good life. I've had people tell me numerous times over the years, dozens of times, well, when I get to heaven, they'll say something like this, I hope my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. And if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, if I hadn't done these bad things, everybody's got their own little list. If I hadn't done these bad things, then I hope it's enough for me to get into heaven. That's a works-based salvation. That's the world, that's culture influencing us based on what they think, not based on the teachings and the truth of Scripture. And we've got to be careful because if we're not aware of these things, they begin to infiltrate our lives. And if we don't balance that with the clear teaching of God's Word, we all of a sudden find our place, we find ourselves in a place where we're not quite sure. Well, I'm not sure if this thing is right. I'm not sure if, if this thing that's politically correct in our world, it seems good, everybody seems to think it's right, but what does the Bible say about it? Right? Culture influences us oftentimes in ways that we don't understand. So what's the answer? Well, the answer is we should influence culture. The answer is we should be doing something in our lives to influence people around us. So I'm going to take, kind of in this main point, I'm going to take three sub-points right out of chapter 15. Right, the answer for us ought to always be found in Scripture. So if the culture is affecting us in these ways and there are problems and we're being influenced by culture, which we are, what do we need to do to fight against it? There, there are kind of three sub-things I want you to see in these few verses. I have them on the screen. Here's the first one we see right out of chapter 15. We need to, in the midst of the cultural war we, we battle in, we need to defend the truth and take a stand against sin. That's the first thing we ought to be doing. Now we find that right in the Scripture. Look at verse 2 of chapter 15. I want you to notice, pull verse 2 up and then pull that main point back up again if you would, Wanda, that we just had. Notice what Paul and Barnabas do. There's this discussion, there's this debate. Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Like somebody arises up, questions the truth of salvation in Christ, Paul and Barnabas, instead of, now watch this, instead of retreating back into their room, running in fear, hiding, sweeping it under the rug, being afraid to engage in conversation, instead, they have this ongoing uh, debate, no small dissension. They're arguing and discussing. They're standing up for the truth. And how many believers do that when somebody questions the truth of God's Word? How many of us are willing to defend the truth, even when it's not popular? It doesn't take you long if you have real conversations in the world to, to, to come up against somebody who disagrees with something you believe in, somebody who doesn't fully understand the truth, somebody who may uh, talk about a sin as if it's something good or fun or beneficial. Are we defending the truth? Are we taking a stand against sin? Because if we really are honest and we really are truthful about wanting to influence the culture, one of the things we better be doing is defending the truth, standing up against sin in our world. Far few, too few Christians do that. We just kind of go along to get along. It's a lot easier for us. 
Uh, it's a smoother road. It's just something we don't want to have to worry about. So we just kind of kick it on down the road, so to speak. We just ignore it. We don't defend the truth. We just let it pass by. Don't ever say anything about it. That's not what Paul did. If we're going to influence culture, we defend the truth. We take a stand against sin. Here's the second thing we see. We should share the love of Christ wherever we go. You want to really influence the culture? then you need to share the love of Christ wherever you go. Look at verses 3 and 4 again, if you would, for me. Pull up verse 3 again. So being sent on their way by the church, they, this is Paul and Barnabas, look what they did. They passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, complaining about the church and all that the followers had done, and they bickered among themselves, and everybody was angry. That's not what it says, is it? Sounded like it. That's cool. I kind of wrote in all you thought was really the scripture. He's like, I didn't really see it. Instead, it says, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great what? Joy to all the believers. So they described in detail the conversion. Here's basically, let's put it in modern terms. Hey guys, listen to what Jesus is doing. <laughs> listen to what Christ is doing. Paul says, can I tell you about the people that are getting saved? Can I tell you how the Lord's at work in my life? Can I tell you what the Lord's doing in this church? Can we talk about all the cool things God's doing? And when they told the people these things, when they described these things in detail, it brought what? Great joy to the brothers. Go back to those truths we had just a second ago. But we, we ought to be sharing the love of Christ wherever we go. Why? Because when we share peace and love and grace and hope and joy, people are affected by that. People like to be around other people that are excited and joyful and happy, right? Are you a joy giver or, or, or a joy stealer? It's a good question. I mean, when people see you at work, do they just, hey, and they want to talk to you because things are good? Or do they see you coming like, oh, he's going to complain again. I can't deal with this today. There are the, we have those people. We know those people. Are we sharing the love of Christ? Are we walking through this world talking about all that Jesus has done for us? Are we bringing joy to people? Are we influencing the culture in a positive way? And then the third kind of sub-point here, we need to be ambassadors for the gospel of Christ. Look at verse 7 again. I want you to notice what Paul does, or what Peter does. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by what? My mouth... The Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Peter says, listen, I am an ambassador for Jesus. It's by my mouth, it's through my speech that these people are going to hear the word of the gospel and believe. It's not enough for me to be passive. It's not enough for me just to ignore this. God has given me this calling. He's placed this on my heart. He wants me to use my mouth and my lips and my words and my actions to be an ambassador for the people of the world. If we really want to influence culture, we should be ambassadors for the things of Christ in everything that we do. One writer said it like this. Every aspect of human life and culture is ripe for Christian witness. Every dimension of culture, whether it's art, science, or politics, is an arena in which we can speak about Christ with our lips and reflect Him with our lives. We thank God for the existence of culture and recognize whatever is good in it while at the same time seeking to redirect whatever is not good toward Christ. 
Right? Culture is a big deal. It influences us. If we're not careful, it will change us and shape us and mold us. We need to, through the power and foundation of Christ, be shaping and molding culture. Now let's continue. We need to continue on with this. Look at verse 7 again. Acts chapter 15, verse 7. Right, we just read that about the mouth and, and sharing the gospel. Look at verse 8. Flip on to 8. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us. And He made no distinction between us and them, having cleared their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our Father nor we have been able to bear. But we believe, this is crucial, verse 11, that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as as they will. Here's the second major truth, right? Culture is going to influence us. We got to be careful. We got to be aware. We influence culture. And the way that we do it is by having this foundational understanding. Truth number two, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Right there in verses 10 and 11, 9, 10, 11. Right, Peter says, listen, the culture is kind of raining down on us. The culture is questioning us. They're dissension. And we're not quite sure. They're debating. We need to hold firm to this foundational truth that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Like we, we ought to live our lives and kind of fight this cultural battle with this as our rallying cry. Now, I talked last week, and I'm not going to give you a, a pop quiz. I, I, would, I wouldn't do that. But I told you last week, one of the things I talked about is that you ought to have some sort of a gospel presentation memorized. Right? You ought to be prepared to have conversations with people. You ought to be prepared to have spiritual conversations with people. You ought to be prepared to turn things to spiritual discussions, whatever that looks like. And then you need to have some sort of a simple gospel presentation. And so I want to show you, I'm going, this is kind of a follow-up from last week. I want to spend just a couple of minutes doing it. I told you about the Roman road. And as we think about salvation, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, I'm going to walk through the Roman road just very quickly because I don't ever want to miss the chance. If somebody in here is thinking, you know, culture does affect me. I know who Christ is, but I've never really accepted Him. I've never thought through grace and faith and, and Christ alone. I've never trusted Him as my Lord and Savior. So I'm going to give you very quickly the Roman road. And as you're listening to it, you can do one of two things. If you are a believer, you should be following it and maybe even thinking through how you can use it in your life. If you're not a believer, I hope it challenges you and the Holy Spirit directs you to give your life to Christ. So very simply, we've got four verses. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody. You, me, Everybody, your deacon, your Sunday school teacher, everybody. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Now that, that sounds bad enough, but the next verse we're going to give them explains why this is a terrible thing that happens. Romans 3.23, for all sin falls short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right, so we've all sinned. It separated us from the Lord. All the bad stuff we've done because of that sin, Scripture tells us it's going to lead us to death. Physical death eventually, spiritual death absolutely now. Death is brought about because of sin. Right? So we're in a bad place. We've sinned. Sin leads to death. Uh, next, Romans 5.8. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we've sinned, we've been separated from the Lord. That sin leads to death, but the Lord demonstrates love for us. How does He do it? 
that while we were still sinners, right? So that, that, that kind of that throws out the whole idea that people need to get right first and then they can get saved. You ever heard somebody say that? Well, I've got to fix some things first. I've got to quit doing these things and I've got to quit. And then after I, do the, after I get all that right in my life, then I'm going to accept Jesus and everything will be fine. The truth really is that we accept Christ while we are sinners. In the middle of our sin, Christ gave his life for us. And then you wrap it all up, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So if you'll repent of your sins and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will be saved. Some people think that's just too easy. It couldn't be that simple. It is awfully easy, but it's the truth of Scripture. That's what Christ gives us. And we need to understand, if we're going to impact the world for Christ, if we're going to culturally make a difference in the world, we do it. Pull that second truth back up for me, if you would, that main truth. There it is. We do it by understanding salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, I want to finish up. We're running out of time, but I want to see where this goes, right? The kind of so what idea. So what does this mean? What does this matter? Look at verse 12 again. Let's finish up this text. So all the assembly fell silent, right? Peter's just stood up and said, listen, we're saved by grace alone in Christ. Culture's attacking. There's questions. There's division. We're uncertain. But listen, here's how we're saved. And all the assembly fell silent. Verse 12. Acts 15, 12. There we go. All the assembly fell silent. They listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through, men, through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. Now, very quickly, I was at Solomon's portico. I don't remember that. That's okay. Oh, that's five. That's Acts 5. That's okay. Do we have 16 and 17 of Acts 15? Okay, that's okay, that's okay. So, but that's fine. As you're, as you're doing that, I want to tell you something about Acts 16, 15, 16, and 17. What's going to happen now is James, who's speaking, is going to quote Amos. Amos is an Old Testament prophet. and Why would he quote Amos? What does that have to do with anything? Because as you read it, the first time we read it, it's going to sound like we're talking about buildings. Like physical buildings. We're going to think about buildings and things that are going to be done to buildings and repair buildings and whatever. Do we have it yet? There it is. Okay. And... 15, go to 16. Yeah. There. So this is the quote from Amos. So James now is speaking to these people. He's quoting Old Testament Amos. We're thinking buildings, right? After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. Go to verse 17. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things. Now here's what's important that we need to understand. Here's what we're going to get at, right? We're going to talk about Amos here in just a second. I'm going to draw your attention to Amos. But let me give you the point and then I want to go back and talk about it. Here's truth number three. Through Christ, very simply, point number three, people are rebuilt and restored. Right? Culture attacks, it tries to defeat us. We stand on this foundation of Christ alone. We sang that song earlier today. And from that foundation, through Christ, people are rebuilt 
and restored. Now, if you go back to Amos chapter 9, you don't have to do that. If you were to go back to Amos chapter 9 and read the context, Amos is specifically talking about the children of Israel. He's talking about their plight and their sin and they've turned from the things of the Lord. But because of God's faithfulness, because of all that God has done, bring verse 16 back up if you would please for me. Because of God's faithfulness with the people of Israel and all God has done for them, after this, he says, I will return and rebuild the tent of David. Those are the people of Israel. I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will resolve it. Right? There's this idea that we're going to be rebuilt, that we're going to be restored, all because of the things of Christ. Now here's the application. This is why this matters to the world. Because there, there are people in our world, and you know them just like I do, that live with wreckage and with junk and with just baggage from the past. Some people have kind of gotten past it, and many have not. And you probably have conversations with people, I have conversations with people on a regular basis, and we kind of look at their past and the mistakes they've made, and they want to talk about all the issues they've had to deal with. Here's where this is important for us. Because God can take all that junk and all those mistakes and all that baggage and all that ruin and wreckage and he can build something, he can restore something beautiful and holy in your life through that. That's the truth of the gospel. That truth will change the world. You want to talk about changing culture? You start directing people to the truth of Christ and the foundation of Christ, and how Christ can rebuild and restore their lives, when people begin to understand that and accept that their lives are changed, other people notice that begins to change culture, that begins to change the world. But it starts with our understanding of who Christ is. It starts with our foundation of trusting Him in all things. It starts with our understanding of what salvation is, very simply. Do you have verse 17? Pull verse 17 up for him because I want you to notice where this ends. But when people are restored, when people are rebuilt, the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things, right? When people are rebuilt and people are restored, the remnant of mankind seeks the Lord. When you show somebody that God can take their wreckage and their sin and their mistakes and He can rebuild it into something beautiful, people want a part of it. They, they begin to seek the Lord because of that. They see what God has done in your life and they want to have a part of it. They see how God has taken kind of the ugly mess of your life and turned it into something beautiful and holy for His glory. The culture is attacking us. It's trying to defeat us. We need a foundation in Christ. We need to have this truth that through Jesus we can be restored and renewed. That ought to be like a banner that we fly in the public square of the world because people want hope, they want joy, they want peace, they want renewal, they want their lives in so many ways to be rebuilt. We have the answer. Amen. If we really want to impact culture, Christ has given us this model. If we follow it and we trust Him, God takes a bunch of ordinary people and does extraordinary things through our lives. Let's pray. Lord, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the author of our salvation, Father. The, the cultural upheaval that we find ourselves in today is no surprise to you. There's no misunderstanding on your part. There's no fear or uncertainty, Father, because you're in complete control of all things. But, but sometimes for us it's scary, Lord.
We feel like we're kind of swimming in a sea that's awash in political correctness and sinful things and ungodliness. Father, help us to, first of all, realize the culture is attacking so many different ways. But in the midst of those attacks, Father, may we ground our lives, ground ourselves in the truth of the gospel. Grace alone, Christ alone, faith alone, Father. Allow us to be ambassadors, to take that truth into the world, to rebuild the ruins of the world, to restore and refresh. Father, allow us to be the men and women of God that the church you've called us to be. May we make a difference in the world for the sake of your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand this morning. Maybe you feel like you're at a place of wreckage. You've got issues in your life. Christ can restore and rebuild all those things. I'd love to explain to you how that works. You come this morning as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.